Last week, we celebrated the day of Pentecost, the day when God poured out his spirit on all the believers in Jerusalem. Those who put their faith in Jesus became the spirit-filled body of Christ. The remarkable manifestation of the spirit that occurred on the day of Pentecost was that all the believers began to speak in other languages, languages that they'd not learned, languages from all over the known world. But what else? What other evidence was there that they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, Acts 2, 42 to 47 is almost like a summary description of the first church. Guided by the Holy Spirit, the church quickly created its own culture, a culture that embodies God's purposes for human community and human relationships. The church, as described in Acts 2, gives us a blueprint for our life together. In other words, what we're looking at today is what we should be aiming for. And the culture of the church went against the grain. It was counter-cultural. It was counter-cultural in a culture where family values were important, uh, where the communities worked together as community, where people knew and interacted with their neighbours, where practically everybody believed in God. Even in that climate, the church was counter-cultural enough to bring people to Christ on a daily basis. How much more countercultural should the church be in today's climate? Uh, in the developed world, we live uh, in perhaps the most individualistic society ever. People operate in little silos of independence. It wasn't long ago that everyone knew their neighbours, uh, that you would be known by name by the butcher, the baker, the grocer, and uh, all kinds of other people uh, that you saw on a regular basis. To do your banking, you'd actually have to go into the bank and talk to someone, interact with someone. Nowadays, it's possible to remain in your home indefinitely. People work at home. They can order their shopping online and have it delivered. They pay their bills online. Technology has increased our ability to isolate ourselves. And if we get bored with uh, whoever we happen to be with at any given time, we can retreat into our own little virtual world on our phones. We're yet to see the long-term effects of COVID-19, but it's not unreasonable to imagine that all of this could lead to increased isolationism. A few weeks ago, I watched a short documentary about Japan's hikikomori men. These are young men uh, that spend all their lives in their home. They rarely leave their bedrooms. And it's a really uh, serious problem in Japan, so much so that you can now hire hikikomori uh, sisters. And it's their job to try and coax these young men uh, out of their rooms and back into the real world. So how much more countercultural is this Christian blueprint for our life together with all that as a backdrop? In theory, Christian culture should be a million miles away from the prevailing culture, but often it's not because individualism has seeped into the church. People sometimes say, I'll take Jesus, but not the church, or I've got my own personal faith. I don't really need the church. But a Christian who deliberately distances themselves from the body of Christ is dismembering the body. It's like cutting off a hand and throwing it off to one side. Following Jesus means living life together. There's no getting away from it. So what are we aiming for? What should the spirit-filled body of Christ look like? Well, Acts 2 gives us four key things. 
a spirit-filled church will be a learning church, a loving church, a worshipping church, and a missional church. Firstly, a learning church. The first part of verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In the early church, the apostles stood up and taught, and the people took their teaching really seriously. They devoted themselves to it. But the apostles have all died. They died uh, nearly 2,000 years ago. So how can we uh, replicate that in the modern church? Well, the apostle teaching has been recorded for us. The New Testament is a collection of the apostles' teaching. It is their spirit-filled, Christ-centered message of hope to the world. A spirit-filled church will always submit to the authority of the New Testament. I'm not an apostle. I can't just stand up and say whatever I like. If my teaching contradicts the apostles' teaching, then there is something seriously wrong. So as a church, we should devote ourselves to the message of the Bible and and particularly to the message of the New Testament. We should hear it preached, study it, meditate upon it, seek to understand it. We must be a learning church. Now, for some, all this talk of teaching and learning will be an unwelcome reminder of school. Uh, Of course, if you're a studious academic type, you might say, I love studying and learning and absorbing information. I thrive on that. Uh, But there are plenty of people who hated school and the idea of studying the Bible is not an appealing one. Nevertheless, it's so important that we engage with the scriptures because it's the primary way that God speaks to us. Reading the Bible is not like studying any other work of literature because it's relational. Uh, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the gospel, to the message of the Bible as a whole, is one of the primary ways that we deepen our relationship with God. And if you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to learn, I believe that the Holy Spirit will do that. That said, there are a variety of ways that we can take in, absorb and understand the apostles' teaching. Uh, We can, of course, read the Bible. Uh, We can read commentaries, which are books that help us to understand what we're reading. So we read the Bible and a commentary side by side. We can listen to an audio version of the Bible. Uh, We can go to church and hear sermons, or we can listen to them online, podcasts and so on. Uh, We could join a small group and study the Bible with others. Or we can immerse ourselves in music that is rooted in the Word of God. So many ways that we can take in the message of Scripture. We're to be a learning church, but that learning should be fun, engaging and life-giving. It should be something that we look forward to. Someone recently told me quite apologetically that they struggled to read large sections of the Bible. Uh, And this person said that they prefer to hear God's word through music. And that's fine. That's wonderful. I might also add that this person attends church regularly so they're hearing uh, the gospel preached at church and they're part of one of our hubs so uh, they get to discuss the word of God with others. So that is someone who is devoted to the apostles teaching. I think a lot of us struggle to read large sections of the Bible but you know it's perfectly acceptable uh, even preferable to read one or two verses at a time. When when it comes to reading the Bible uh, quality is far superior to quantity. So a spirit-filled church is a a, a learning church, one where the apostles' teaching, the gospel, is taken seriously. 
It's also a loving church. You know, there's a crucial word in verse 42 that's been translated fellowship. The original Greek word is koinonia. It appears 20 times in the New Testament, and it's translated in various ways, communion, contribution, sharing, uh, partnership. And it has to do with what we share in, but also what we share out. We share in the love of God. We share in communion and friendship with God. We share in the word of God and the worship of God. Those are the things that we share in, but then we share out. We see it in verses 44 and 45. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We give of ourselves. We're generous, mutually supportive, loving and committed to one another. That's a phrase that appears time and time again in the New Testament. One another. We live life together and we are for one another. Now, some people have read this, the selling of property and having everything in common, and they've reached the conclusion that this is communism. So is this passage advocating communism or uh, maybe socialism? Well, no, it's not. Socialism compels us to give. Communism demands that we give. Under communism, freedom is limited and the state, the government grows. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, it says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Well, you can't give cheerfully under communism. In a few weeks, we'll come to the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts uh, chapter 5. After they sold some land, they were found to be defrauding God, not because they didn't put all the proceeds into the common purse, but because that's what they said they did. Uh, They said, here's all the money from the sale of our land but they were keeping some back for themselves secretly. But actually, they were quite entitled to keep some back when it was discovered what they'd done. Peter said to Ananias, didn't the land belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, you didn't have to give us all that money, uh, much less pretend that you'd done it to, 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 to seem more generous than you really were. Very few Christian communities right the way through the history of the, of the church have practiced compulsory sharing of goods. And the way the Greek is written suggests that the selling of land and valuables was a sporadic practice to meet particular uh, needs as and when they arose. But what it does mean, and there's no getting away from this, it means that we should be generous uh, and work together to ensure Uh, that there is no needy person among us. And it's been heartening to see that happening, especially during this COVID-19 crisis. Uh, 1 John 3.17 says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We're to be a loving church. And that means working together to ensure that everyone has their basic needs met. Sierra Leone in West Africa is one of the world's poorest countries in the 90s and early 2000s. It was ravaged by civil war and the economy still hasn't recovered. I once stayed with a family in the capital, Freetown, and I was able to observe how people in this little community around their home uh, work together 
in mutual support. They didn't get anything from the government, uh, but somehow they were able to get by. Uh, at the time, I compared it to the UK because that's where I lived, and there were a lot of, and are a lot of people in the UK who are on benefits and are struggling, and they really are struggling. And it occurred to me that if the people on in the UK who are on benefits uh, work together uh, in families and communities in the same way that I'd seen in Sierra Leone, then they'd be much better off. But of course, uh, that's not generally how communities work in the UK anymore. So going from London to Freetown was a culture shock. And the thing that struck me most was the fact that families and communities were working together to survive and even thrive. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our life together was just as much of a, of, of a culture shock to those outside of the church looking in? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our life together arrested people's attention, got them thinking and asking questions? Love is always something that we do. A spiritual church will be a loving, caring, sharing church. It's also a worshipping church. The whole purpose of our being is to know and love God and to worship God. Yes, you can worship God in private. Uh, yes, our whole life should be an act of worship. But the primary purpose of our community is to worship God. Our blueprint here in Acts 2 gives us uh, two contexts for corporate worship. Uh, one is formal and the other is informal. So verses 46 and 47 say this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's formal. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's informal. Uh, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. It might surprise us to learn that the believers continued to meet in the temple courts, but they did at least until persecution made that impossible. But they also met in one another's homes. And I guess the equivalent for our church today would be our weekly church gathering, albeit we can't gather in a physical way at the moment. That would be a formal meeting equivalent to the believers going to the temple courts. And our hubs, our, our home groups would be the informal meeting, much like the believers meeting together in one another's homes. Meeting together for worship and fellowship, both formally and informally, is so important. But you know, you should never have to convince God's people to gather together. Uh, you hear of people or churches uh, pulling all kinds of stunts to get people through the door. And I literally mean stunts. I found an article in the Huffington Post that described all the crazy things that uh, pastors did to get people to church. And I think this could only happen in the US. But one pastor transformed his church into a bull ring, complete with a raging uh, bull uh, which was called Bone Crusher of all things. And the pastor rode this bull rodeo style, managed to stay up for three seconds before he was bucked off onto the floor. Uh, he got up, dusted himself down, and then went up on stage to preach his sermon. And some people are thinking, well, that's very cool. I wish, wish uh, Charlie would do that. Well, I'm afraid I'm uh, not going to attempt that one. Uh, in an effort to reach unchurched rednecks, a Baptist convention held Second Amendment celebrations by serving steak and giving guns away as door prizes. This is a, a church service, but they were very responsible because the raffle winners needed to pass federal background checks before they could collect their prizes from the local gun store. Uh, a pastor from Texas 
used a real lion and a real lamb uh, as props on Easter Sunday. That could have gone so badly wrong. The mind boggles. And as I say, some will be bitterly disappointed to learn that we're not going to be doing that at St Andrews. The problem is what you attract people with is what you keep them with. And you can't pull those kind of stunts every week. The gospel is sufficient. And actually, it's more amazing than any of those crazy stunts. It's such a a, a privilege to come together uh, uh, to worship God and share in the gospel. And Acts 2 tells us that they were meeting together every day in the temple courts and in their homes. That's like having church and hub every day of the week. Well, clearly, uh, that's not practical. But equally, we don't want to fall into a a kind of convenience-based fellowship you know waiting until the conditions are perfect to join the church in corporate worship kind of like well uh, we've got nothing better to do Uh, no one in the family is tired we're all feeling like we've had our Baraka you know the 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 advert uh, Baraka you but on a on a good day Um, everyone's in a good mood the weather is good but not too good because then we could find something better to do when we're not on any under any great Uh, pressure. Uh, So let's go to church. Well, if you thought like that, you'd never go to church. You'd never worship uh, with the rest of the body. If your household is anything like mine, it's often the opposite of all that. But we need to recognise that we don't go to church. We are the church. And worship is something that we are committed to doing together. A spirit-filled church is a worshipping church. Finally, it's a missional church. Uh, At the end of our reading, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If we're a learning, loving, worshipping church, if we are learning, loving, worshipping Christians, then we'll be an effective witness to the world. Our love, enthusiasm and passion for the Lord will spill into every area of our lives. This countercultural community, this eternal community, eternal family of God's people is open to everyone. How can we keep that to ourselves? In October 2016, we held a launch event to kickstart our new regular Sunday service. And we had about 80 people, which was quite a lot back then. But after the service, uh, one lady said to me, I thought we'd have more people than this. So I said, well, how many people did you invite? And there was a bit of an awkward silence because she hadn't invited anyone. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The Lord will do it, but he wants to use us to do it. If we don't invite people to church, if we never invite people to events and gatherings, if we don't talk about our faith, then the church simply won't grow and eventually it'll be unsustainable. But if we're willing to invite, if we're willing to dick our necks out. If we're willing to be missional, then the Lord will continue to add to our number. A spirit-filled church is a learning church, a loving church, a worshipping church, and a missional church. That is our blueprint. So let's strive to be all those things as we live our life together.